Squat Studios, the makers of such gumshoe tales as Detective Science, Police Navidad, and Good Cop, Bitch Cop proudly presents... Tom Hanks Giving, right here every Tuesday. Tom Hanks Giving, come on and press play. There's Elvis, the host with the most, yada 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 yada. With a different guest each week, they're the smart ones. Each episode's a new movie. About Tom Hanks, the man himself, of course, it's time for Tom Hanks giving. It's the best you can get. It's the rootinest, tootinest podcast on the internet. Tom Hanks giving. Besides masturbation, a podcast's the loneliest thing you can do. It's just a guy and a mic. But you'd be surprised at how complicated they can get when the topic of choice is an actor turned director like Tom Hanks. You'll see Hanks here as you've never seen him before, doing films you'll either always remember or forget almost immediately. This one's the latter. Today, we're talking about the 90s neo-noir television series Fallen Angels, Season 1, Episode 2, I'll Be Waiting, directed by Tom Hanks. I'm your host, Faye Friendly, and my guest today is a hard-boiled man sitting across from me at the bar. His name is Elliot S. Campos. He takes a drag of a cigarette and says, Hey, everybody. Hey, Elliot. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, we watched Fallen Angels, uh, directed by Tom Hanks, 1993. And, goodness. This one... When did you watch it? Did you watch it today or last night? or? I watched it yesterday afternoon. Okay, I watched it this morning. I've, you need a little more time to process it, I, I think. Oh, you think? Because yeah. I, I, I think I might need to rewatch it again because I've kind of forgotten almost everything. What happened for me is that I watched it yesterday afternoon, and afterwards I just, bleh, I have no idea. So <laughs> I got online, I researched the show, I read about what the whole deal with the show was, and then I actually read the short story. You read the by short story? Raymond Chandler. You came so prepared. So prepared. And then I watched it again. What? No, you didn't. I seriously did. I feel terrible. Why did you waste all this time? I wouldn't call it wasted as much, considering usually I'm watching 15-year-old Simpsons episodes with my day. That's true. At least but this had some ha- Tom Hanks for you. This was immediately relevant, and I thought that if Elvis is going to bring me back to his podcast, the least I can do is totally own him on knowledge ship do about it. the topic of discussion. Just kick my ass right now. Tell us about Fallen Angels. Give us some uh, history lesson. Well, this series was on Showtime in the early 90s, but with Fallen Angels, it was a show, a series, anthology series, Mm -hmm. so ahead of its time a bit, produced by Sidney Pollack. (laughs) Ahead of its time, like, I think Twilight Zone beat it to the punch, though. It was in the middle of its time, (laughs) certainly. But it's produced by Sidney Pollack, who Academy Award winning Best Director for Out of Africa, not a great movie, but Tootsie is incredible. He's hilarious in it. Tootsie, Sidney so, Pollack. Sidney um, Pollack, R.I.P. And then with this series, it was a spotlight for a lot of people because by that time, Hollywood wasn't really making noir movies. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of filmmakers and actors, they wanted to jump in to do this 
genre that was a favorite of Hollywood back when they were young. When they were, yeah, no. Yeah, it's like uh, when they did Back to the Future 3 and all the stunt guys and everybody wanted to do a Western. Now, do you feel like, what, what, there is, there is some sort of thing in Hollywood. There's this attraction to noir and, like, a good noir story, I'm into it. I love it. But just, like, the affectation of noir, it leaves me a little cold. How do you feel? I'm not a huge fan of noir necessarily. One reason I don't love noir is that noir tends to be very convoluted in its plotting where there are all these different conspiracies and entanglements mm-hmm. going on and yeah. everything is so complicated with these backroom dealings and everything, especially if you watch Shane Black's work like The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. I do, like, movies, I do like those but movies, but the plots can just be just way more complicated than they really need to be. That, yeah, that's the, the, the kind of the downside to noir is you always have to have the explanation scene towards the end of the movie. It's very much tell, don't show a lot of times yeah. because you just have people explaining why everything worked out the way it did. And it's so messy that... I think this is true, it might be apocryphal, but when they were filming The Big Sleep, Howard Hawks was talking to Raymond Chandler and he says, wait, who the hell killed the guy in this scene that we're even shooting? And Chandler was like, I don't know, you tell me. So it's just like, it's not exactly slapped together necessarily, but it's more about a certain kind of affectation or mood. And for me, watching this particular episode of Fallen Angels called I'll Be Waiting, starring Bruno Kirby, who I really like Bruno Kirby. He yeah. passed away about 10 years ago or so. He died should, pretty young. He's a character actor, shows up in a lot of, a lot of different things. Often is Billy Crystal's friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like his voice. He's got a very unique voice. And I think it was, like, this is why they cast him in this role. He's, he's perfect for that kind of hard-boiled detective. Well, you read the short story, and they talk about how the character, uh, Frank or something, how he's this short little fat man. And so I guess he isn't exactly the Aryan Hollywood leading <laughs> man ideal. So there you go. But uh, Bruno Kirby, very enjoyable in When Harry Met Sally and City Slickers. Have you seen City Slickers? I love City Slickers. He has this great scene where he talks about the best day of his life and the worst day of his life. Same day. Exactly. Really good. Oh. So I, I haven't really seen him in anything since I watched The Basketball Diaries in my junior year of college. So it was really nice to see him again. But with him and this performance, we just talked about City Slickers where he's very emotional In certain scenes, he kind of lets it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in this, he's really withdrawn and really unemotive. So he's kind of just like a block of wood. And basically, in the course of this story, he just kind of hops around the hotel talking to person to person to person, most of whom aren't really moving either. No. So it's very inert. But that's the best part of this is that we get to see all these great character actors just show up. Like, we have Dick Miller as uh, the hell the best uh, the, the hotel bell bellboy Joe Dante regularly yeah I, I worked with Hanks previously in uh, the Burbs right. and then of course we have Peter Scolari from a show called Bosom Buddies uh, uh, honey we shrunk the kids the television show oh he plays uh, Wayne Nick, Zelinsky Rick Rick Moranis's role I'm yep. supposing uh, and he's been in a lot of things of course and a lot of other Tom Hanks role uh, movies but um, he was they're buddies they they are buddies of a sort. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what that sword is, I, I don't have a descriptor for just yet. But uh, and who else did we get? Uh, oh, Dan Hadea, who is uh, in who is incredible in uh, Joe versus the volcano as the horrible boss. A lot of calling in favors from buddies. Yeah, I, I, but I, but like you said earlier, I bet it's just, this is just kind of thing that a lot of these actors probably want to do. Like it's just kind of a fun thing that people want to make, despite the fact that I think it's this is this example especially is just like. It's just style over substance. There's nothing really here except for the affectation of noir. This really reminded me of Star Trek The Next Generation. There are a lot of episodes where they go into the holodeck, which is popularized by community. Yes. And in the holodeck, a lot of times Picard will play a film noir storyline where (laughs) Picard is a hard-bitten gumshoe of the 1940s. And it is exactly as stiff and lifeless (laughs) as it is in this Showtime series. So let's talk about the story of this thing real quick. Uh, The one thing, it doesn't really have the explanation scene uh, at the end that we were talking about with most noirs, does it? There's no big plot. Is there anything, I guess? Or is that what they give to Tom Hanks now that I'm thinking about it? Well, the basic story is that this hotel detective, which, cool, hotels have detectives. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I guess outside of Angel. Well, hey. (laughs) Well done, well done. But this hotel detective, he's kind of bouncing around. There's this woman laying on a couch listening to the radio. Like she's been on opiates or something, but I guess she's just sleep deprived. Yeah, she's... She's a mysterious femme fatale, as is the genre's want. Indeed. But basically, you have him going from person to person, and I feel like I only partially understand the plot, but basically what it is, is that this woman, Eva? Uh, Eve. Eve? Eve. I pronounce it like Wally. Yes, she's Um, waiting for her ex-husband. No, she's not waiting for him. She's hiding out from him, because I think what happened is that... Years ago, they were driving in the car together, and the husband ran over somebody and drove away. And then she, he just told her, shut up, don't tell anybody. And then she went and called the cops on him. The the summary says she's awaiting the return of her lover from prison. If you say so. This is me. (laughs) You read the book, though. I read the the short story. Again, that summary that you have scrawled on paper (laughs) or whatever, that might be correct. No, you're probably right. My understanding, which may be wrong, is that she called the cops on her husband and he he went to jail for like three years. Now he's out, he's very angry, and he wants to kill his wife. And so she might be waiting for him in terms of there's no escaping him, so all I can do is right, wait for judgment right, to come right. descending upon him. And then the, uh, the trouble boys, they're not after her to kill her, they're after her to get to him. So with that, so you have the trouble boys, and they're linked up with this Al character. Who's the brother... It's very, some, somehow there's $25,000 um, that I think the husband who went to jail is now out, wants to kill his wife. He owes somebody this $25,000, and that's what Al and the Trouble Boys are out to get. Mm-hmm. So, again, I don't understand the plot. <laughs> yeah, does, does Brio Kirby have the, um, the money they're looking for? Did he? No, he's not involved in any way. Well, what's, he what the hell? 
It, it's basically just... It's so stupid. Well, Raymond Chandler, he actually doesn't even like this story. It was written for a magazine, like kind of an upper crust magazine instead of the kind of pulpy pulp fiction that he usually yeah. wrote. So it was something that he wasn't really enthusiastic about. So this is kind of like the bottom of the barrel, yeah. Chandler that the author's not even enthusiastic about. But it's just something where this guy, this hotel detective, he is he is just totally withdrawn. He's locked up within himself. And I guess with this story, it's about him coming out of the shell a little bit, talking about music with this dame. And like when you read the story, kind of nothing happens in it because at the end of this short film we have the trouble boys and they take them in a car and they're about to shoot him there's a little shootout gunplay mm -hmm. none of that happens in the short story so in the short story really basically, even al less happens even less happens because al and the husband they have an altercation but the detective he finds out about it over a phone call so, uh, so, i mean to, to i mean i'm sure it's not a great short story but to at least to a short story like that literature's form a phone call can be more entertaining than it is on screen. I mean, it's not a detailed phone call. It's more like you get the information of what happened. Uh, it's a very short story. It's yeah. not, it's a couple pages of a magazine. So it's not something that's very in depth at all. It's more that it has all of the noir trappings with the, the, the lingo. Like there's a lot of talk about people's eyes, how they're like deep as an ocean. It hits, or it hits very, all the right notes. It hits all the right notes. It's one, cheap to do. One, one location. Let's just put it as one of the shows. Tom Hanks can direct it. One reviewer of the short story, they were talking about how it kind of has all the elements of a noir storyline, except it lacks the huge central mystery mm -hmm. in it that the guy is uncovering. There's nothing to so, figure out, really. Just no, outside of, just, like, what was the point? And because the protagonist is so passive, it really makes it kind of a chore to sit through and read. For me, I'm very much about having an active protagonist who grows and changes and has a hand in what's going on. Mm -hmm. And for this main character, he basically is unemotive and he doesn't take any action so it just feels Well, there's like hard. no personal stakes. Like, is he no. into the girl? Is he just being nice? Like, what? It's just elements that yeah. are in the story, but they don't really cohere in any way. And when you have a little sequence, like when he goes to see Dan Hedaya and he gets a gun drawn on him, I mean, there's a nice shot where the... The camera is underneath the glass table. I wanted to bring up that shot too. Actually. Holding the gun, pointed at the detective, like that's that's a nice shot, but it's all just like surface. It felt it, it felt like uh, this is the most creative shot you did in the whole thing, and it, it honestly it's like I've seen it done so much better. I couldn't stop thinking about that uh, opening credits shot from Buffy with Riley. Right. Yeah, and that nice pushing. Yeah, I. So it's like, I, obviously, the, this shot was done before that shot was. but Quite a bit. But I'm sure it's not the first time we've seen the glass table no. with the gun. And it's just like, poor angle. It didn't look flattering for the for the actors. And no, up his nose. No. There's um, one other shot that I think is better, but we'll talk about it. All right. Uh, actually, talk, you know, tell me now. I can't remember which one. Well, the other shot that I really like, um, Tom Hanks is actually in this. 
um, <laughs> in, the, in the show, yes. But he's one of these trouble he boys. He plays that we trouble boy about. number well, one. Um, but the shot in particular is we see the trouble boy from behind. He's smoking a cigarette, and then when Bruno Kirby walks up to him, Tom Hanks kind of turns around and walks through the smoke mm, and has this yes. kind of devil smirk on. And that was a nice introduction to him, especially because Tom Hanks isn't listed as an actor in the opening credits. Nice little so surprise. So if you're unaware, it's like, oh, Tom Hanks. With a little bit of facial hair. Yeah, that just weird. looked like yeah. it was drawn on. Didn't look good. Like, I actually Googled it. He was actually 37 or thereabouts yeah. when he shot this. And it's like, he just has such a baby face. Like, he looks... <laughs> I mean, for Tom Hanks, if you have to, like, divide his career up, yeah. it's like... Um, 80s and early 90s, he's just kind of baby-faced. And then in the mid-90s, that's when, like, middle age kind of hits him like Boom. a truck. And that's probably when diabetes hit him, too. <laughs> probably. But, yeah, just, I mean, when you get to Road to Perdition, you can buy him a lot more. Oh, yeah. But this feels like that, that same character in puberty. Very pubescent. <laughs> because he, he just looks like a kid in his dad's clothes, like, playing dress-up. You... Because he comes so late, too, yeah. um, it's very jarring. And he's bringing this type of performance that is unlike anything else in the short. It's very... With Peter Scolari, you have him a little bit comedic because he brings up this whole, like, dress up as a kimono, mm -hmm. dress up in a kimono and go to Dan Hedaya's apartment or something. And that... Some kind of bosom buddies reference, I guess. But, but, uh, yeah, Pierre Scolari has this whole bit where he talks about how Bruno Kirby should dress up in a kimono and go to Dan Hedaya's hotel room to give him his money's worth or something like that. Which, out of character, and, is kind of a funny reference. And I'm, but I mean, what I'm saying is that Peter Scolari is funny in a very like low key way. He's a and, he's a person who is funny versus Tom Hanks's performance, which is a cartoon character. He, I feel like he just didn't fit this type of filmmaking at all oh, was the, it, at this point in his career. Casting, yeah, he's just too young. He doesn't too young. He play. It, I, I get the appeal because it's fun to play a bad guy. He's kind of doing like a Jack Nicholson kind of thing with yeah. the smirk on him, but he's just he's too young. He doesn't. Everybody else is kind of like they're worn out by life. They've been through the ringer. They're so downtrodden and low-key, and he comes in, like, smirking, and like, hey. Well, I will say, to his credit, he woke me up at the end of the movie. I was yeah. actually paying attention again. Because yeah. everybody it, it, everybody else does fit that that tone, mm. and it's a, probably more cohesive that way, but mm. it was, like, oh, so lifeless. It's such like, a Bruno Kirby's a good actor, it. but it's just so boring to watch this movie. And, and I would say Tom Hanks's performance in this movie is probably still better than his directing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you are a super noir person and you really like just the archetypes of it, mm -hmm. you might get a contact high from it. Yeah. I just feel like... It's, Tom it's, Hanks's performance is just so out of step with literally every <laughs> other thing in it. It's hard to praise him for it, really, because part of an actor's job is to service the material. Yeah. And I feel like he, with the type of performance he was doing, it might have been okay if he was like 10 years older. But he's just too young for the part. He's He comes across like he's he's the kind of guy who just got into this business and he's trying to be... The, the kind of mafia guy, the gangster guy. Yeah, I mean, if it was uh, 
if it was a high school production, it that's would what be it, fine. It, it like watching this. It was like, did they shoot this at Columbia in the directing two classes? Yeah, honestly, it's not great. I yeah. I th- if he wanted to play a part, he should have played the Peter Scolari part. Yeah, because that would have been a lot less obtrusive, and because this trouble boy guy, he actually has to pose a serious threat. It completely undermines mm-hmm. the climax of the thing. And the climax is so stupid, by the way, because they get him in the car, and then they just drive around the block and yeah. sit right in front of the hotel. If they're going to kill him, why aren't they, like, driving away to a place where they can dispose of the body? Again. Instead of uh, making one, it easy for him to shoot them and go back to work. No, not, not making it easy for him to shoot them. Make it easy for the crew to shoot the movie. Right. <laughs> it's so cheap. I go to the the Ambassador Hotel, and that was it. Yeah, television didn't have the best production values at this time. Television yeah. really didn't it, look great. It lo- Like I said, it looks like Columbia College Chicago shot this movie. Yeah, I it's mean... It's so cheap. Television... And this is Showtime, so this is something you would have to pay extra for mm-hmm. every month. Ooh. But I think, yeah, that's just television. I mean, you watch... Twin Peaks, for example. I mean, a lot of people love Twin Peaks, but it does have this very stiff, stagey production aesthetic yeah. to it. And I mean, part of it is David Lynch, you know, whatever. I'm not a David Lynch. He doesn't person, like so David Lynch. I don't like him. I disagree. But it's just that with Twin Peaks, you put that up against the modern day equivalent, and it looks like it was shot decades ago. And I mean, this is the same thing. It's all like soft focus, mm-hmm. it's not sharp at all, it looks very. It's definitely before Golden Age of Television, 100%. On the plus side, there was a, there's a couple positives here. We got a pretty crazy, well, not crazy and good, but we got a Hank's headshot. There's not a lot of those. Yeah, that, that was uh, neat. Um, Road to Perdition, is it a gut shot? Yeah, I don't think he gets it through the head. Yeah. I mean, he gets a lot of shots, so maybe one of them is through, but it's not initially through the head. Yeah, because he, he can like walk to the beach, yeah, right? So exactly. it's definitely not a yeah. headshot. Um, so I think that, yeah, that might be the only Hank's headshot. I can think of in his entire filmography. See, and it's just like Tom Hanks as the director. He's like, boy, wouldn't this be fun to yeah. do this part and get shot in the head? Which I get and the appeal like, of that, but it, to the detriment of the story. Uh, and then, um, the, but probably my favorite takeaway from this is uh, I have a new, uh, just a new great sexual euphemism, uh, palming your doorknobs. I don't know that that's sexual necessarily. I am, I'm going to go palm I some mean, doorknobs. Turn it that way. I, yeah, how could it be turned any other way? I mean, that's him just checking on people, it's, I guess. It it's sounds very, so He says weird. it a bunch. I know, and it's like, really? <laughs> uh, that's the Bruno Kirby character, by the way. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up for you is that seeing how this is a Tom Hanks directorial work, mm-hmm. we have That Thing You Do, Larry Crown, Tales, Tales from the Crypt. Anything else? I believe that is all the ones that we've done because he, if he directs anything else, he's a, he doesn't act in it. Okay. Uh, but let me double check. That's not, I don't know. <laughs> Special thanks. No. Untapped potential. Yeah, right the now. only other thing he, ha- oh, he directed an episode of Band of Brothers, which we haven't done yet. A League of Their Own, the TV show. There was a League of Their Own TV show. He doesn't appear in it, though, so we're not doing it. Missed opportunity. And from Earth, The Earth to the Moon, he, d- he directed one episode. Um, well, here's the thing. I haven't seen most of this, but I have seen that thing you do. I have seen Larry Crown. Did you see the Tales from the Crypt? No. This is worse. <laughs> well, they... 
it's very unfortunate that directors kind of get pigeonholed by mm -hmm. what they do. But going from that thing you do, and especially Larry Crown, yeah. uh, he just seems like a very kind of <laughs> bland, sitcom-y kind of director. Tom, Again, I like that thing you do. Tom Hanks, he's a one-hit wonder himself. He, that thing you do is the only one that he hit out of the ballpark. I mean, part of it is that Larry Crown is his more recent work, but Larry Crown is just so <laughs> milk with toast, you know? Um, oh, you say milk with toast? You hit the cue? Come on. That's the dialect from where I was raised. <laughs> I'm sorry. Milk with toast. I'm sorry. Don't make me apologize for my people. Elliot Campos, everybody. So I have... I don't know. I think that looking at George Clooney or Clint Eastwood, I don't know why these are the two I'm pulling. I mean, actor turned directors, yes. basically. But I feel like Clint Eastwood nowadays is kind of seen as an actor who became a director. Um, mm -hmm. With George Clooney, he's still more of an actor, but he has enough directorial he's got efforts. Some yeah. And he tries different things each time out. Like, he doesn't just do romantic comedies starring himself. Yeah. He like pushes himself to make the kind of movies that wouldn't be able to be made unless he was in a, a sizable role behind the camera. So with Tom Hanks, it seems like he is very much like white bread, middle of America. He doesn't He seem... shows up and he he's he's not he's plays it safe. He plays he kind of plays it safe. But you know what? He doesn't he doesn't he plays it safe behind the camera, but rarely does he play it safe in front of the camera. Casting him may be a safe choice. I'll admit yeah. to that. Mm -hmm. But uh that's the thing. Hanks is meant to shine. Mm -hmm. Uh behind the camera, I'm always going to be interested in the stuff he directs, but he's not a, a director. And I don't want to see like I'm not if he makes something else as a director, I'll see it, obviously. I'm happy for him. But I'm excited about him in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. That's that's where he belongs in the spotlight, mm -hmm. not through the smoke and in a really poorly done facial hair. Yeah, I mean, it looked like it was drawn on with a makeup pen. It was, you know, it was. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. Just from like the first time you see him, it's like it just feels wrong. No, to be in there. and that's terrible. You never want that feeling from Tom Hanks. No. I still enjoyed seeing him, but yeah, it, it felt like. Wow, we're, we're really hitting the school play aesthetic now. With the rest of the cast, um, the femme fatale we were talking about is, is it Marg Helgenberger? That's correct. I've actually never seen an episode of CSI in my life, and apparently she was in like 650 of those. Wow, I only wrote so. down that she was in an episode of Frasier. Uh, yeah, that's your go to. <laughs> I think uh, Br I looked at Bruno Kirby's resume, and he was a voice in an episode of Frasier. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, what's his face? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know if I have the actor's name uh, in front of me, but, uh, oh, wait, yeah, here it is. Uh, the guy who played Al. Um, John Polito. John Polito, another great character actor. Uh, Colin Brothers regular. I, I always think of him as Silvio from that episode of Seinfeld. He passed away last year. Oh, well, rest in peace, yeah. John Polito. Yeah. We saw you die today in the He's in the kind of guy, yeah. He's the kind of guy who's very much... Um, the kind of actor who often appears behind a desk, you know, yeah. he has some kind of authority or something. But not but, like a super, um, super authority. He's middle management middle authority. Middle management. But with, uh, yeah, speaking of John Polito dead, because they do it kind of in a clever way because we cut from Bruno Kirby <clears throat> meeting Tom Hanks in the hotel lobby to when they're in the car 
and then Tom Hanks is cheekily offering Bruno Kirby money. And he's like, mm-hmm. you don't want it? How about your friend there? And the camera pans yeah. over, and he's sitting next to um, uh, John Polito's dead body. Yep. And it was just kind of a funny reveal. But then as the scene goes on, you find out that Dan Hedaya is also sitting in the car, <laughs> and he just has this face where he his eyes are wide open, his mouth is wide open, and he's just like, Oh shit! Somebody's shot me. You oh, know? actually, that 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 does a. I do have a question for you because it was hard to tell on the the resolution because we just watched this off of YouTube, right? Uh, well, I got the high def remaster. I really went all out to prepare for this. Podcast. Yeah, man, you're really prepared. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, when okay, there's like a host segment, much like the Crypt Keeper in Tales from right. the Crypt. There's Faye Friendly, uh, right. who just kind of introduces the story with some poet, poet, poetic lines. Rolling up stockings, yeah, stuff like that, putting on lipstick. That stuff is at the beginning of every episode. Yeah, um, and then she, but she walks away, and there's a dead guy. Was that? Who was that? That's just noir. It's, it's just it, so, noir so, stuff. It has nothing to do with anything. Oh, but don't it's, they personalize the the monologue? I think they do because this. But one, the they visuals talk a lot. are always the same. The visuals are all the same. It's always in a hotel room. <laughs> uh, maybe I. I only watched. I only looked at like one or two other episodes sure was like, like briefly. I, um, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch the entire series for this. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but basically, what happens is she just gives a lot of generic lines like yeah. you know in a hotel room you're gonna do things but that she, you're gonna remember forever or forget about by the time you get home but the last Which line like she that. actually speaks to the camera so unless it's the same line every time they have to record that i don't think she spoke to the camera i think she the voiceover narration was going while she was walking toward the camera at a dutch angle F- well, i'm gonna bring it up we're gonna pause recording i'm gonna bring it up right now and find out this is unprecedented well, when we jump back I'll in. I'll try to forget before they get home. All right, so she's got a voiceover. A hotel's just a stop on the way See? to some other place. A- she's talking. She is out of focus. She's talking. She, she, she's, she's not saying what we're hearing. Yeah, she she's is. Barely moving her mouth. That's totally no, lie. I think you. So who is that? Is that Dan Hedaya? No, that's who? just a rando. So, is the, so do they just change the line? No, that doesn't make any sense. It's just generic stuff. Open up another episode. All right, we're gonna do this. A dime a dance. Unprecedented on the show. Okay, so this is similar. I can't tell if it's the exact same. Did they just it shoot is. the whole fucking show at the Ambassador Hotel? Apparently. Okay, see, this is different. It's just, no, she just rolled up her stocking. They changed the voiceover. No, this is completely different imagery. It's all just generic stuff. That it's they, generic stuff, but it's it's different it's every same, episode. Look, now she's playing on lipstick. That was a cigarette! You're not watching it right. This is entirely, you were wrong, you idiot. Just admit you were wrong. This is probably season two. She's Saying talking specific specifically things. about the episode. So who is it. that guy? Just a random person. That's so dumb. It's the wraparound. But who are there? They do it. It's like it's supposed to be. Oh, this guy got killed. How did he get killed? But it's that guy's it's not in the story. It's noir, baby. Like I, fuck noir. Down, fuck noir. Walk down the right back alley in Sin City, and you can find anything. Uh, hey, um, I have something real quick. So this is a couple lines from the short story, okay? All right. All right. <clears throat> so this is the Bruno Kirby character talking to the Marg Helgenberger character. All right. So Tony Bruno, and Eve. Yeah, to, okay. So um, 
Nobody's all bad, Tony said out loud. Eve looked at him lazily. I've met two or three I was wrong on then. Tony nodded. Yeah, he admitted judiciously. I guess there's some that are. Great. Nothing. No, <laughs> I, no reaction. I no. have no way. I don't even know. But yeah, it's just that he says... Hold on. Let me... A part of the problem is you did the same voice for both <laughs> characters, so I was hard to tell who was talking. Okay. He says, nobody's all bad. She says, I've met two or three I was wrong on then. He says, yeah, I guess there's some that are. So it just like goes back and forth and nothing's really being said. I hate the know? empty dialogue that they, you throw into Noah. It's so dumb. And Obviously and, you can make a movie where it's like, it works, but that's because it's a good story. It's a good movie. It's not this fucking stupid style that you throw onto it. It feels like it's a Final Cut filter. <laughs> yeah, and this short, <laughs> they changed that line actually. So they changed it to when he says, um, you know, nobody's all bad. She says, I've met one or two. That yes. seemed to be. He goes, all bad's like all good. You know, you look up close and it all falls apart. Just stuff like that. So it's just, they do make little tweaks here or there. Like I said, the ending, they totally added the, the shootout yeah. in the car, I guess. It was kind of a... Um, well, I'd have that great... It was, it was kind of a Han Solo kind of thing, like shooting Greedo. But yeah. it's like he didn't hide the gun. He just pulled the it gun out strange on a guy that they who was already pointing a gun at him. Yeah, but, so. but it also doesn't make any sense because that means they had to put his gun back into his coat pocket instead of take it. Because he had his gun out when he got killed. Yeah. It's, it doesn't And hold they're up. like, well, let's make well, this Well, like, like Bruno Kirby says, you look at it close, it just falls apart. Yeah, this, it's, this is the kind of thing when I watched it for the first time, I just watched it on my computer. The second time, I actually put headphones in. Yeah. Because it, you really have to freaking concentrate on this so hard it's very dense dialogue it's very dense and because they're just speaking without really saying a lot it's very easy to just trail off completely so yeah i that's it yeah i um i'm definitely not enticed to see more episodes of fallen angels maybe they're great i mean christopher lloyd is in, He's one, in one apparently uh, yeah. tom cruise directs one tom cruise does Keeper sutherland and imagine amic steven soderbergh one. directs the third episode the one right after this one yeah but so uh there's this, talent but it's just like they're until we do the tom cruise podcast cruise control we're probably not going to revisit fallen angels they just don't have they have such a short amount of space that I don't know if they can really do much of anything. Especially when the best noirs are mysteries, and with that short time frame, it's hard to get a whole mystery in. Yeah, to get really wrapped up in yeah. it. I mean, most, the best noirs, again, it's about a guy who gets wrapped up in something and it kind of consumes him. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to ask for in 30 minutes. Yeah. So I think really it's just you're going to see people playing dress up, so if you want to see Hanks directing on the small screen, I'm going to say, go for the Tales from the Crypt episode. It's better. It's not great, but it's better. And uh, the Crypt Keeper is a much more personable host. So there's that, too. Uh, Elliot, do you have anything else to say about I'll Be Waiting? Keep it waiting. Yeah. This one can stay in your Netflix queue. Your YouTube playlist. <laughs> uh, well, Elliot... Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks uh, for having me. What, uh, what, what do we need to know about you? What do you, you changed your Twitter handle. Yeah, I Huge. made it more personal. You changed it like two times, actually. I, yeah, I was trying to find the right one, really. 
But yeah, now I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Elliot S. Campos. So Why'd you right go with the name? With my name. Well, I had as Elliot Campos originally, and then I decided that that would be bad for getting jobs, and so I switched it to something that turned out to be kind of unpronounceable for anybody. Escape E-L-L. Yeah. Escabel. Escabel. So, I don't know. Why not? But then you were thing? Elliot Watches for like two days. And that felt creepy. <laughs> it did, but that's why I liked it. But no, now that's you can find him at Elliot S. Elliot S. Campos. Campos. So why did you go back to Elliot Campos? Somebody else grabbed it. They were waiting on it. Yeah, they pounced. They I pounced. changed to Elvis Kaboom. Someone probably is sitting on Elvis Kunesh right now. Yeah, they're like, yes, finally. I remember <laughs> when I was in college and I wanted to sign up for that Simpsons class. And that class gets booked because there are only 15 spots. So you just got to check it like three times a day to when somebody drops out. That's so how I got in. in. Yeah, so Elliot Campos, some guy for like six years, <laughs> he was checking it three times a day. Once again, go through. <clears throat> he finally got it. He nabbed it. Good for him. That asshole. Good for him. Yeah. So now I'm Elliot Scampos. Elliot so Scampos. He's a little scamp. If you want me, you can find me there. And also listen to Beyond School. It is a serialized audio play on iTunes about a teenage girl who battles evil aliens. Uh, follow the show at Tom Hanks Pod on Twitter. Follow me at Elvis Kaboom, as mentioned previously, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find the episodes and other video content on YouTube.com slash Splot Studios. That's Spot with an L right down the middle. And don't forget to come back next week because we get to see Tom Hanks return to his favorite period, World War II, where uh, he falls in love and has other consequences in every time we say goodbye. And uh, we'll talk about that next time. Until then, thanks for listening. Tom Hanks, we fell in love with you, Tom Hanks, just like so many do deeply, because you made us smile, and you're great on screen style, so that's why we give thanks, because you've got a friend in Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. I uh, so uh, what uh, what else have you been watching lately? Uh, your mom tried to be cheeky. Mother's Day. Anyway. Hey, happy Mother's Day. I met, I told her I would mention mom on the podcast. So happy Mother's Day, mom. I love you. Aww. This will come out weeks later. <laughs>